10 to 18. I often labeled by people spiritual warfare, and if we could keep it in mind that that's the Holy Spirit strengthening us rather than, than demons we're fighting, I'd be happier with that, with that, with that label. So that I'm not that comfortable with that label. It's not one in the Bible. The Christian's warfare, what is it? How do we do it? What's it about? And uh, made a beginning two weeks ago. Jack was preaching last week on the introduction of the Gospel of Mark. I listened to about two-thirds of it before I ran out of time, before group on Wednesday. So I'm going to group tonight. You know, that's what small groups do. They make you say, oh, I've got to catch up on Sunday because I'm going to group. We'll be talking together. So that's what I did. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you are the giver of life. When God breathed, you were the breath of God. You were the one who moved on the face of the waters. When God spoke, let this be, you made it happen, Holy Spirit. You are the, the agent of God's power, the one who brings about change. And so we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you who brought Scripture into being will help us to receive it, to embrace it, to be changed and challenged by it, to be redirected in our thoughts and in our living. Because we do pray, as Carol introduced earlier this morning, we do pray again, again, let your name be honoured, let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth, in me, in us, as it is in heaven. Amen. So back up in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be subject to one another, husbands and wives. Submit to one another. There's a responsibility for one another there. Parents and children, employers and employees. And it's interesting, again, today how relevant employers and employees issue is. People seem to think they, they can have someone do something for them and not pay them for it. It's like, that's wicked, right? That's not capitalism. That's wicked to not pay someone a fair rate for what they do. But then, towards the end, Paul says, finally, verse 6, chapter 10, verse 6, verse 10. Finally, he's summing it up. Be strengthened by the Lord. And by his vast strength. That's, you know, the big stuff. This is not a little bit. This is his incredibly huge strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, just other people, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. I'll explain that in a week or two. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Next verse, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armour on your chest. Your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, or it says in the older version, above all those things, take the shield of faith with, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows 
of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Paul's still on course in the next verse. Pray at all times. He doesn't use a piece of armor for this one, but it doesn't matter. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert in this. Still soldier language here. With all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. This is the second part in what I think will be an eight-part series working through this section of Scripture as we get to the end of Ephesians. Today I'm concerned verse just verse 10. And I pray the Lord will help me not to run ahead and bring other things in ahead of time. We've just finished the book of Isaiah in our Bible reading plan, haven't we? And I don't know about you, but my mind is full of the great words of God for the prophet. I'm also, I've bought and I'm working through three volumes by an old Puritan called William Gurnall from the 1600s. It expounds just this passage of scripture, Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 18. So bear with me if I bring some quotes from now on from Isaiah and from good old William Gurnall. Let's go back just a moment to two weeks ago. Because we, we looked at the warfare of the Christian, the battle. What is the battle? And it is the fight of faith. The fight that Adam lost in the garden. And Jesus won in his life, in Gethsemane in particular. It, 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 it wasn't bloodless. He sweat drops of blood winning the fight of faith. To trust his father and to obey his father. And it's the fight that we now face in the strength of Christ. It's the fight of faith. And it is a battle for the mind. It's not shooting things out of the sky. It's not about celestial strongholds. It's about things that are right here close to you and I. We reminded ourselves as well two weeks ago that we have three fields of opposition. Three things that are against us. And this goes right back, you can read it actually in uh, uh, a number of scriptures you find these three things mentioned. And throughout church history, preachers and theologians have talked about these three things. We have an internal enemy, our human nature, our fallen human nature. Our fallen human nature, the flesh. William Gurnall says, We Christians have an unregenerate part still which is discontented at a change in management. It's under new lordship, new management, but there's a bit of us that still is fighting. Rebelling against the Lordship of Jesus. We have the world, an external enemy. Godless human society. Godless pride and ambition. And again, Gurnall says, we're commanded in Scripture not to be conformed to this world. That is not to compromise ourselves with the corrupt customs of our day. We don't have to agree. We don't have to sign up. We don't have to conform. We're not of this world even though we live in it. And then the devil, our infernal enemy, because he's heading to an, an infernal eternity, a burning hell. Satan and evil spirits, demonic assault. These three things are mentioned in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, in the order, world, devil, and flesh. And I've given you the scripture there. And there's a long tradition through church history of seeing our position as being these three enemies. I want to say again, the church for many decades has focused really on only one. And we haven't heard sermons about the flesh and the world. But only about the devil. Rebuke the devil! You know, and all that kind of thing. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer says, From all the deceits of the world, the flesh, sorry, the world, the flesh and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. Amen. Amen. 
But much teaching on the warfare of every Christian has been concerned with out there and up there. And the, the role of demons. But for decades now, Christians have not been fighting and therefore, I believe, have been losing the daily fight of faith at a personal level within themselves. They haven't been resisting the pressures of the world because they haven't seen the battle as being that close. It's, oh, well, it's up there somewhere. Yeah. And I think that's why we've seen so many casualties. And from time to time, we as healing ministers get, a, get an email that says, please log into the website. There's a message for you there. And the message is not you're fired. It's that so-and-so has failed. And they've had to be taken, taken out of their leadership responsibility. Why does that happen? Because we're not fighting the real battle that's right here. Personal. Overcome by enemies much closer than the ones that we've spent our focus on. If we are not battling the flesh, the world and the demonic, we will fail. We're planning for failure, preparing for failure, not for victory. The devil would, is, is quite happy with us shooting arrows into the sky thinking we're, we're hitting targets there. When he can, deal, we can, he can get in and, 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 and trick us and pull us around. And the, the fiery darts of the wicked want a landing rather than being shielded. He, he, he doesn't mind. Uh, John Bunyan wrote about the siege of the city Mansoul in his book, The Holy War. We know the Pilgrim's Progress better, but the book, The Holy War, is about Mansoul and the enemies coming against the city of Mansoul. That's you. <coughs> Let's talk a minute about context. Too many people dive into these verses in Ephesians 6 as if they, they've just appeared from nowhere. You know? Oh, look at that. Whoa, where did that come from? This is all new to me. It shouldn't be, because if you read through Ephesians, you'll find that Paul here is summing up what is already said. There are threads here he's already been sowing. There are words and phrases here that connect back to earlier. So finally draws back on things that Paul's already been saying, and I've given the scriptures here, context. The importance of mind and thought, and therefore the battle of the mind, is in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, before it's in Ephesians 6. Mentions of earthly and demonic powers are in Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 before they're in Ephesians 6. And when we get to, if you're excited, to Ephesians 6 verse 12, I'll explain to you that some of these words refer to human powers and some to demonic powers. We are dealing with both, but Jesus has overcome and is exalted, says Paul in a number of letters. Jesus is exalted far above all powers, all rulers, yeah. human and demonic. Therefore, they also get the thread of the heavens mentioned in Ephesians 1 a couple of times. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, before Ephesians 6. So when we come to Ephesians 6, it's, we battle blah, 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 blah in the heavens. What does Paul mean? Well, the, the track is laid. And again, is it two weeks time, three weeks time? I don't know. I forgot where my eight are. We'll look for one week just at what does he mean by the heavens? What does it mean that we are seated in how many places? How does that affect the way that we deal with life? The heavens. And then the gospel of peace. We just read it. Your feet shut short with the readiness for the gospel of peace. That's from coming back from Ephesians 2. So, but we're picking up on three threads this morning. It was sown in Ephesians earlier. First one is the strength of God. When Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. That doesn't come from nowhere. 
It comes from these scriptures that Paul's sown earlier on. I pray, he says in Ephesians 1.19, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. King James says, towards us. It's reaching to us, stretching out to us. Not just to bring us into salvation, but to continue to supply us and strengthen us for life according to the working of his vast strength. See the expression, vast strength, Holman Christian? What does he say in Ephesians 6 verse 10? Vast strength. The thread is following through. I pray that you may be strengthened. I pray that you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power which is towards us, according to the working of his vast strength. And then a few verses down, he dem- no, next verse, he demonstrated this power. In the Messiah, by what? By raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. And if you think, all oh, those songs earlier were very fitting. Karen, I did collude on this, all right. <laughs> um, and then it says, our strengthening by God. So in Ephesians 3, the second big prayer of Paul in Ephesians, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man. That means inside you. See, all the, all the big stuff that God does isn't outside you, it's inside you. You need to change on the inside before things get changed on the outside. Life changes because God is at work in you to change your life. Yeah? He works in us. Strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then... It's a big prayer. At the end of the prayer, he says, Now to him is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think because he's big and great in heaven. No, he actually puts it this way. According to the power that works in us. This great power of God is at work in us. And then the other phrase that comes up right through the gospel, right through the epistle, sorry, is in him, in Christ, in Messiah. So now we'll look at Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You will hear many songs nowadays, particularly the power anthems of some soul singers or of those animated movies, you know, like, like uh, Frozen or whatever, where some character, often a female character, gets up and says, oh, I'm strong. You can throw what you like at me and I'm strong, you know. You know. Maybe it started with respect, you know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T and uh, all those kind of songs. Those big torch songs, as they call them. Well, yeah, okay, strong, strong, strong. But the Bible never actually says just be strong. It says be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Let's track it a bit. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel towards the end of Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them, your enemies. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong in the Lord. And then he turns to his successor, to Joshua. And he speaks to Joshua. And he says, be strong and courageous. For you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give to their fathers. You will enable them to take possession of it. What, little Joshua, he's going to do that? How? Because the Lord is with him. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. 
He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. The Lord then repeatedly spoke such words to others through scripture, through redemption history, judges, kings, prophets, Jesus speaking to disciples. But because I've been reading Isaiah, I love these verses. Let me give you Isaiah 41 verse 10. It's from an older version. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed or anxious. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is what Paul is drawing upon, all of that rich background, when he writes, be strong in the Lord and in his vast strength. See, Jesus said plainly, plainly, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet Paul says, Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So without him we can't achieve anything of any good. But with him we can achieve and attain all we are called to. Not just what we daydream about. You know, we can imagine ourselves to be the next, I don't know what. Who wants to be, who wants to be a prime minister or anything like that nowadays? Not really. But I know there's lots of young ladies who like to imagine they're Beyonce and young men who want to be something like football or something. Some of that's daydream, all right? You know, there's only a certain number of people make it to those kind of levels and then they, they, they make a mess of it and they're not good people, all right? But in real life, every opportunity we're called to, every trial and challenge, every fight of faith, we are given these promises. Gernel says, one of God's names is the strength of Israel. In the army of saints, the strength of the whole host, the whole army, lies in the Lord of hosts. God can overcome his enemies without help from anyone. But his saints can't defend the smallest outpost without his strong arm. Our strength is in the Lord, not in us. Be strong in him, not without him. It's his strength, not your strength. So Paul adds to that. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How strong is the Lord? How big is our God? Well, check this out. God Almighty. That phrase comes up in a number of scriptures, doesn't it? Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All power is his. Any power anywhere else is borrowed or delegated from him, including demonic power. All power is his. He's the originator of everything. His power was seen in creation, then in redemption, which was foreshadowed in Exodus, but accomplished in Jesus. Then in the resurrection of Jesus, the whole cosmic uh, moment in history when the Son of God rose from the dead, that was by the power of God, the authority of God. Remember, power in the Bible isn't like electricity. It's authority. Person with authority doesn't even have to shout. I'm shouting a bit this morning. Person with authority doesn't have to shout. They have to say, do it. Authority commands it to be so. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, claims for himself all power, all authority in heaven and on earth. God is all powerful. And he is sovereign over all. But he's not passive. That's an image that 
a lot of uh, theology, a lot of Christianity seems to have of God's kind of, okay, well, we'll see if this works out. Well, they're not doing very well, are they? Okay. We'll have to raise another generation then. It's like God is passive. It's like wound up the clock and he's letting it run. That is not how the Bible portrays it. In the Bible, God is not just the God of armies. He's the warrior king at the head of the army. The captain of the Lord of hosts. The scriptures picture God himself going out to war. Isaiah 42, again Isaiah from this last week. The Lord advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts. He roars aloud. He prevails over his enemies. We like to sing about the Lion of Judah who's roaring in power and fighting our battles. These are more than songs. These are biblical truths that we're taking hold of again and again. God is not just strong. He's strong for us. And he wants to strengthen us according to not our size, our need even, but according to his vast strength. In the same way, he saves us not according to our sins, but according to his vast grace. It's, it's not our measure that matters. It's his. Exactly. Hallelujah. It's his. Yes. According to his riches of glory. Yes. According to his vast strength. Yes. According to his abundant grace. Yes. Amen. You and I spend half our lives worrying about how big we are or small we are. Mm-hmm. We've got a big God. Yes. Amen. But our battle is the fight of faith. To trust and depend and obey him through Jesus. Therefore, what we believe about the Lord is foundational to us. The way we think about him. More girdle. To be strong in the power of the Lord's might requires two acts of faith. First, you must have a settled, firm persuasion that the Lord is almighty in power. Amen. He's sovereign. Yes. That is a fun, this is a foundational truth. Yes. Second, You must not only believe that God is almighty, but also that this almighty power of God is engaged for your defense. It's coming to your aid. God expects you to meet every trial, every temptation, leaning on his arm. Amen. Like it. (laughs) If our thinking about God makes him small, weak, inadequate, ineffectual, you can never be strong in him. Because you don't think he's strong enough. But if you're thinking that you're big enough not to need much of his help, you'll never be strong in him either. The human heart will always tend to exaggerate and boast in our own strength and underestimate and diminish God's strength. Why? Because we're fallen. Our business as a Christian is to reverse that polarity, to say with John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. Paul had to learn it the hard way, didn't he? Thorn in the flesh and all of that. God spoke to him, dream, revelation, prophecy, I don't know how he spoke to him, but he spoke to him and says, your weakness is the opportunity for my strength. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you're, so Paul says, so I've learned, I've got it now. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because it's his measure, not mine, that matters. It is wise to be a small person, strengthened and supported by an almighty God. You see, when your strength runs out, and it will, his can't. He's infinitely, inexhaustibly strong. 
And Jesus, because let's figure out God in a man now. Let's see God, the man, Jesus, and measure him, shall we? Jesus endured and overcame every trial, every provocation, every sin, every sorrow and challenge of life. He was tested in every way that we are, but did not fail the fight of faith. He did not fail in obedience to the Father. He is immeasurably strong. Tested beyond any limit we imagine. And it's his promise that he will strengthen us. Fear not, I am with you. Journal again. Doubt your own strength. And if you don't, you need to. Because pride comes before a fall. Doubt your own strength, but never doubt Christ's. Again, in recent daily Bible readings, we've seen this in Psalm 68. Listen to this. Your God has decreed your strength. Wow, that's a verse from itself, isn't it? Show your strength, O God, you who have acted on our behalf. Further down. Ascribe power to God. His majesty is over Israel. His power among the clouds. God, you're awe-inspiring in your sanctuaries. But listen, he's great, but he's not just up there and out there. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. May God be praised. Daniel prophesied that the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits or take action. So Paul's own testimony over in Colossians is this. This this is why I work and struggle so hard. Depending on God's, Christ's, sorry, mighty power that works in me. I'm working really hard because he's working very hard in me. Strengthening me, motivating me, renewing me, energizing me. Elsewhere, Paul makes a parallel statement about the grace of God. And they're not, it's not either or. It's the grace of God and the strength of God, the power of God. Let's think about how does the Lord strengthen us? You know, I'm wading through this. <laughs> how does the Lord strengthen us? He's strengthened us by his word. When we get into the armor of God, it talks about the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, you know, the helmet of salvation is about, about being shielded. And the shield of faith, it's about being shielded from things. And it's also about fighting back with something. And what do we fight back with? First, of, there's only two weapons mentioned. Prayer and scripture. The word of God. The word of God. We're strengthened by his word. And the Puritans and other people, Luther and... And so on. Once the Reformation had happened, people began to get into their Bibles more. They discovered the, the things that we call the promises of God. So you take hold of it. Like the one we read just earlier, Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, I am your God. And you take hold of that and receive it as his promise. Not as his word out there, but his word right here to us, to me. You take it as promise. So you then pray it back and live it out. The promises of God. There are many great and precious promises in the scriptures. Some people like to claim the ones about success and wealth and so on. But what about those in which the Lord promises his presence and his power to endure the trials of life? This is the way Peter puts it. 
His divine power has given us everything required, everything we need for life and godliness, to live as a Christian, to do life well as a believer, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, by his wisdom and by his power, he's given us very great and precious promises. See, you want to go back and read Isaiah now and start to harvest some promises. So that through them you may share in the divine nature, become more like Jesus. Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. You see the world mentioned there? We've got to escape from the way the world lives and thinks and is. And be conformed to Jesus. And how does that happen? One of the mechanisms is through the promises of God. I see it. Oh, that's great. I need to know that. I need to take hold of that. You turn it into a prayer of asking and receiving, a prayer of thanksgiving, and then you go out and you, day and you begin to walk in that promise. Yeah. I believe the Lord's spoken this to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to answer back at the trials of life today with what I believe God has said. And, and over time, you build up a knowledge of God and his ways and his promises, and you live in the promises of God. Now, don't be like the you know, raider of the Bible who says, I'm gonna, oh, I got, I got one in, I'll take this, you know. Don't be just someone who dips their finger in the Bible. You know the guy who did that? He, he, did, he read, and Judas went and hanged himself. He thought, oh, I'm not so sure about that one. Turn on another one, go down and do likewise. Okay. Um, we need to be readers of the Bible. And it says, we, which is why I'm encouraged so many of you are taking the Bible reading plan and doing it. As you read through, you come across gems yes. yeah. that shine for you. Take hold of them. In my, in my daily reading, I journal, I write them out, and some days I read, fill three or four pages, that, you know, just eight, five, this sort of size of pages with notes. And most of it's just me writing out scripture. Why am I writing it out? Because I want to retain it. <laughs> I don't want to lose that one. I want to keep hold of that one. God's promises are given us so we share in the divine nature and overcome the corruption of the world. Paul writes the letter in the context of enduring trials and opposition. Life was not easy for them. And in the midst of conflict and oppression, he talks about you've received many great and precious promises to strengthen you, to help you. Be sure that you lay hold of these promises that boast and don't boast in your own strength, but his vast strength, which is towards those who will trust him. Go on all again. God longs for his children to believe his word and not to dispute his power. Amen. We've all heard the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sadly, it often gets cut down in popular preaching to I can do all things. You know, because I'm a child of God, because I'm whatever. But what it says is I can do all things because Christ strengthens me to do all things. Here's the full version, Philippians 4, verse 11, 12, and onwards. I've learned, says Paul, to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. Some people are good at one thing and don't want the other. 
In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I am able to do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. That's not how some preachers want to put it, is it? Paul is saying I can be content with either plenty or poverty so long as Christ will strengthen me. The all things there is not, you know, just the easy things, but all things. Whatever comes, all of life, by the strength of the Lord in us. Strengthened by his word. Strengthened by his spirit. That's what Paul prayed for. We read it earlier. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. The Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. It is the Holy Spirit who strengthens us, who helps us on the inside of us, so we can then deal with what is around us or upon us. Yep. You know? Yep. It, it, you know, we, we, we stand there sometimes praying, Lord, take that away, make that go, take that away, take that away. But it's like, no, strengthen me to deal with this. Yep. Is really the, the biblical prayer. Strengthen me, give me wisdom. How do I deal with this? How do I answer this? How do I respond to this accusation? How do I deal with this conflict? Yeah. Strengthened in the inner man. The Holy Spirit strengthens us, helps us on the inside of us. Before we come to the armor of God, we, we need firstly to understand this internal strengthening through the Spirit. We need to know when the Holy Spirit is giving us assurance, when he speaks again to us, that, you know, to call God, call God your Father again. Don't, don't remember, you're his child. This Abba Father thing, this response of the heart that says, God's my Father. I can ask him for his help. He gives us courage, resilience, endurance through faith. You know, the King James Version has the comforter when the comforter comes. And uh, uh, in the bio tapestry, you know, the, the one that, the 1066, the invasion by the Normans, the, Norm, the Normans had it to celebrate their victory, you know. Biotapestry. There's a scene in there where King, where Saint Og is comforting the troops. It says in Old English, he's comforting the troops. You know what he's got? He's got his pitchfork and he's jabbing it at them. He's saying, "Go on, guys, get in there. Go on, get in." So, a comforter in the 1600s English is being pushed into battle, being encouraged to get on with it. The Holy Spirit encourages us, makes us stand up, makes us stand firm. Helps us to be strong in the Lord. Paul's prayer there is one we should lean on time after time. Samson and others, sadly, set out at some point in their lives thinking the Lord was with them when he wasn't anymore. Do not presume. Ask and receive. And then we're strengthened by the company of the saints. How many of us can testify that a brother or sister or a small group of them have at times strengthened our hearts and our hands in trusting and obeying the Lord? In such times we speak and pray prophetically, that is by the Spirit to one another, to build one another up in our most holy faith. So how can we imagine we can just neglect those opportunities to be encouraged and to give courage to one another? We're strengthened by the Lord. Through receiving his word, Bible read, preaching heard, by praying for and receiving the help of the Holy Spirit, and by giving and receiving encouragement and correction and instruction as comrades in faith. We're fighting the same battle. So we're to stand in the strength of the Lord. 
See, this passage is interesting because although I keep drifting into language of warfare and battle and so on, what is missing from this passage, Ephesians 6 to 10, is any thought of our kind of stepping into the battle and actually fighting. It doesn't say that. It says stand, Stand. Stand resist, stand firm. It doesn't say fight. We expect it to. And preachers would preach it that way, but that's not what it says. James, in James 4, doesn't say fight the devil. He says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And there's a whole language of rebuking the devil, which I don't think is in Scripture. In fact, Scripture tells us that even the, 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 the mightiest archangel says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. In the context of this passage of scripture, the Bible says repeatedly to us, stand. Why is that? It's because as we sang again earlier, thank you, the victory has already been won. We are not fighting to gain a victory. We're standing in a victory that's already been gained. We have only to stand firm in Christ be strong in the Lord because he is already the conqueror. He's already the warrior king who's who's gained the victory. He's defeated every power. He's defeated sin and death. So all we have to do is stand and have some armor on and reply to the light come against us with the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. Another good... Can I have another girdle? Yeah, yeah another Our Saviour never lost a battle, not even when he lost his life. So we mustn't overstate our fight and understate his victory. You see, he doesn't contend with our enemies. He's already defeated them. He's not going to step into the battle again. He's already done it. He's won comprehensively, totally. It is finished. But we must stand in his strength and continue on our journey of faith and obedience in an unbelieving world and dealing with our enemies, the the flesh, the world, and the devil. In fact, I want to suggest to you that perhaps some of us waste energy fighting when we should be believing and standing in a victory that's already been won by Jesus. And, And the... The, 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 the expression of energy and aggression might be, seem impressive, but you're not actually doing anything more. You can't win more than he's already won. You can't improve on what he's already done. It's a finished work. We stand. Okay. Here's another one for you. Are you enjoying this? Yes. Gurnal particularly? Yes. Once you realize that God omnipotent is in charge of your life, you'll quit worrying about how to fight your enemies. No assault is strong enough to overpower him and nothing can penetrate your front lines without his permission. The Lord omnipotent reigns. How about this from Habakkuk? God the Lord is my strength. David says it, other psalmists say it, other prophets say it. We say of the Lord, you are my rock, my strength. 
Now, if it's your strength, he makes you strong so you can deal with what you need to deal with. Yes. Equipped by him. Yep. He supplies strength to those who are weak. Yes. This is why I say to you, it's wiser to know you're weak than to think you're strong. Because then his resources are available to you. Yep. God the Lord is my strength. The armor of God is enough for us, as we shall see. His superabundant grace through Christ is more than enough for us. This is the last one for God. Some of you, at least one or two of you, really need to hear this phrase, this sentence this morning. Remember this, everyone, even the weakest saint who finishes the race is a winner. And you'll do it by the grace of God and by the strength of God. So to, to close, and I, I'm amazed that I've been able to preach it this quickly. To close, let me turn to God's prophetic word again to us from Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 27. I wonder if anyone here has been thinking this way this week. Jacob, why do you say? Israel, why do you assert my way is hidden from the Lord? My claim is ignored by my God. I don't think he's heard me. I don't, I don't think he's happening. Yeah? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youths may faint and grow weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's flip back to Isaiah 41, just the headlines for you. I, I love this image. I found this. I thought, great. Isaiah 41 verse 10, just the headlines. God is with you. God is your God. God will strengthen you. Maybe you're heading to some meeting this week. You've got some appointment. And, oh, God is with you. God is your God. God will strengthen you. God will help you. God will uphold you. Amen. Are those precious promises? Yes. Amen. Amen. And we haven't even talked about the armor of God yet. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge that you are God over all, blessed forever. And we rejoice today in your strength, in your power. We would admire it in creation, but we know it best because Jesus has exerted the authority of God to cast down every enemy. They are under his feet. 
And as we obey you and follow you, time after time, you allow them to come under our feet too. As we live not by our strength, but by the strength that you supply, which is vast, immeasurable, inexhaustible. Teach us, Lord, not to boast in ourselves or even in what we think were our victories when actually all we did was stand in yours and receive your strength. Maybe before we go on into breaking bread this morning, there's someone here, you're not a Christian yet. You never surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ. Well, hasn't been the main part of what I've been saying today, but you do realize that it took the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus to change this whole deal for us. He intervened. He came. He came to our rescue. Because we were lost and without God, we were without hope. We had no strength. But when we had no strength, Christ came, says Paul in Romans, and died for us. When we couldn't do anything to improve our condition, we couldn't pull pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, it wasn't going to happen. He became our saviour. And God's grace and God's strength and God's wisdom are available to you through faith in Jesus today. And you can make a new start, not by improving yourself, but by calling and relying upon him. He's the saviour. He's the rescuer. He's the strong one. You don't need to be strong. You just need to give up and rely on his arm. Take a moment now and call on his name, won't you? Ask him to help you. Ask him to save you. Ask him to take charge of your life from this day forward. Call on the name of Jesus. That's the promise of God. Call on the name of Jesus and he'll hear you.